0: Genesis thirteen. We are going to go through the entirety of the chapter. It's not a very long chapter, um, and it records for us the the separation of Abram and Lot. So, last time we were in Genesis, we covered Abram and Sarah in Egypt, and we discussed some of the some of the missteps, if you will, of how Abram approached that situation. Uh, they came up with a and they hatched this plan and tried to take it, into their, take it into their own hands. But yet coming out of Egypt, they still, uh, Abram left with a good bit of possessions that he had garnered uh, while he was there. And so verse 1 of 13 begins with, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. So that sets the stage. From this point forward, I'm about to start reading through the rest of chapter 13, so we're going to work our way all the way through, and then we'll come back and look at some of the highlights and, and, and pull some things out for our consideration uh, this morning. But before we read the rest of the chapter, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you would just be with us specifically now uh, during our time of study. God, I pray that you'll be with me. As I preach, God, that you would just give uh, wisdom and counsel from your word, God, that through your spirit, you would just minister to our hearts and that you would uh, lead us into all truth, God, that you would give us a greater knowledge and understanding of your word, God, that we would be humbled at the opportunity not only to gather and to worship, but at the opportunity to set our eyes upon your holy word. I pray that we are humbled by that and that we rejoice as well and that we are eager to to learn and to be instructed from your word this morning we ask these things in Jesus name amen now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that The land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So at first glance, again, this is another one of those passages. Not quite, it's not quite on the level of a genealogy. I know that many of us, when we come across a genealogy in Scripture, it's kind of hard to force ourselves to work through that genealogy and that lineage. This is a chapter that at first glance you would say, well, oh, well, this might be like a, like a bit of a transition passage. Uh, okay, Abram and Sarah just came out of Egypt, and so now this is just connecting us with what's going to happen next. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned. We know that when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, there's going to there's be some exciting stuff that happens you know fire raining down from heaven and that's one of those big events in scripture sodom and gomorrah being destroyed but this passage is really just kind of like facts coming at you and we may be tempted here again another one of these passages of scripture where we might be tempted not consciously but whenever we view a passage of scripture like oh well that was kind of dry or there's not a lot there we forget The truth that all of Scripture is God-breathed. And it is all profitable for teaching, doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction in righteousness. That we may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, while this sermon or going through this chapter might not be one of those moments of Scripture like the parting of the Red Sea. Or the flood that we've already been through where it's just like, oh man, this is so... I'm just naturally drawn to this. This is exciting. This is powerful. We do need to make some notes here of certain things. First and foremost, when Abram left Egypt, he came to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And one of the first things we read is that he had already made an altar there at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so, we're already picking up a pattern of consistency, if you will. uh, A pattern of commitment, if you will, from Abram. That Abram is one who calls upon the name of the Lord. And he is one who worships. And in this case, he was where an altar had already been made. And he took time to call upon the name of the Lord. And so, again, let me mention as we go through the life of Abram and Sarah. There are going to be high spots. There's going to be... Low spots. Abram and Sarah were human. Just as we are. Abram Abram and Sarah did some pretty bone headed. Knuckle headed stuff. But one thing. That is important for us to note. From scripture. Abram is regarded. As a great man of faith. And here we have a small. It's not exciting. Fire didn't fall from heaven. The earth didn't split. And swallow up a whole family. By the way that's something that really happened. If you're not familiar with that. Nobody. Killed thousands of people with a donkey's jawbone. By the way, that happened in Scripture if you're not familiar with that. Just in case. But what we have here is just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill. Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And it's actually good for us to take these moments and consider them. Because we know in our life, not every single day, not every single week, not every single month. Not every single year is going to be full of just exciting, awesome, wonderful stuff. Oh, this is new. This is exciting. We've never done this before. We've never experienced this before. Ah, Much of life is just like I'm I'm going to the same job that I've had for years. I'm with the family that God has blessed me with. A lot of life is just I'm doing the same thing that I did yesterday. It's just a new day. It's a new calendar day. We're going. And we can get caught up in kind of the the mundane, what we refer to as mundane, just the everyday aspects, and at those moments as a Christian, those are the moments where our faith, our the the depth of our faith, the um the sincerity of our faith, I think, really in some ways is is tested, but it's where it's it's strengthened. No matter if it's a high spot or a low spot or no matter, it's really easy to call upon the name of the Lord when something bad happens, right? Somebody in the family gets sick or you yourself get sick or there's a car accident or something like that. Everybody's praying. Everybody's calling on the name of the Lord. But just during the everyday aspects of life, (coughs) taking time to call upon the name of the Lord. And here, Abram and Sarah, they continue their journey. They... uh, They return to where they were at the first. And Abram takes time to call upon the name of the Lord. So that is something for us to note in this. And that is a pattern for us to follow. There are going to be times in your life where you you may feel like, I've been here before. This has happened before. This particular situation or this particular event. I've had experiences like this in my life before. And I, I know that God is faithful. I know that God has been faithful. And in those moments... Call out to God. Lift your voice up to God. Honor Him. Call upon His name. Then what we see... um, Oh, sorry. He calls upon the name of the Lord. This is also a repetition. Again, now this passage actually says they come back to where they were at the first and He calls upon the name of the Lord. The altar was already there. But as far as Abram calling upon the name of the Lord, I think this is the second time that we see that explicitly mention. And then later, uh, towards the end of the chapter, we see the phrase oaks of Mamre or the terebinth tree. And I mentioned to you a a few weeks ago that the terebinth or the oaks, that's going to be something that comes up in the life of Abram as well. And so you see these little marks of consistency that Abram is a man of faith. And we can mark that, we can note that, and we can learn from that. Then we see that Not only did Abram have many possessions, that Lot who went with him also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And then we have this note might seem random, but it's there for a purpose. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. But we see strife between the herdsmen. And so Abram comes to the conclusion. He says, look, let there be no strife between you and me. We are kinsmen. The whole land is before you. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram here is making a peaceable uh, solution. He's offering this solution. Uh But also note, Lot had much possession. Abram had possessions. Lot had possessions. Up to this point, here again, we wouldn't say, oh, this this is just a thrilling passage to go through. I mean, there's just so much. No, this is just factual. We're learning here. But what what did the Lord promise Abram? He said, get up and go to the land that I've prepared for you. I'll make a great nation of you. You'll be the father of a great nation. I will give this land to your offspring. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And you see here. God's provision. Along the way. Again it's nothing spectacular. It's nothing, it's nothing overly thrilling. But it's something to mark. God called Abram. God is providing for Abram. God is being faithful to Abram. Even after we've already had this event. They go through Egypt and Abram says, hey, tell them that don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister because if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me so they can have you. And we, we kind of mark that lack of faith in Abraham's life. But then they come out of Egypt with greater possessions than what they had. And God is providing for them. And Lot, because he's a part of this caravan, if you will, he has great possessions and herdsmen and, and, and tents and livestock as well. And you see God's provision. For the journey. God is being faithful. In many different ways at this point. And it's important for us. To note this. Because when we. As we wrap up. One of my key things. As a takeaway from this sermon. uh, Today as we go through this chapter. Is simply this. God is always faithful. You've heard me repeat that. Time and time again. But that is one of those things. we, We talked about it in Sunday school. Why would. Why would God repeat himself over and over again in scripture? And why is it good for us to hear things repeated over and over again? We are a forgetful people. We are a very forgetful people. And it is good for us to mark and to remember every, every time in scripture where it's shown that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to provide for his people He's faithful to sustain His people. He's faithful, period. Even when we are faithless, even when we stumble, even when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful to finish what He has started. Because it is so easy for us to get distracted from that. Not just when things are hard or when we have a major life decision. It's, it, it can be really easy to get distracted in those moments because you're almost in a spirit of like panic and you're like, Oh, we got to do something or I don't know what I'm going to do next. And we might forget to call upon the name of the Lord. We might, we might neglect to go to him. We might neglect to rest in his promises, but also in the regular old run of the mill, mundane, day by day, I'm just living my life. Even on those days where we just feel like we're struggling in our head, we just feel like I'm like a hamster on a wheel. I do the same. Stu- I do the same stuff all day, every day. I just I don't even I don't even know. I don't even have to think. It's just like I can I can go on autopilot, and everything happens. And sometimes we struggle. We feel like, is there anything more than this, God? Is there more that I need to be doing? Is there anything more that you have for me, or is this really it? Just the everyday stuff. In those moments. God is faithful. God has us exactly where he would have us. God is accomplishing exactly what he intends to accomplish. And we can rejoice in that and we can rest in that. If there's one thing, just as a a 32 year old who is trying to gain wisdom each and every day of his life. If there's anything that I've noticed just in 32 years of life, it's. One thing that is definitely becoming less and less apparent, and less and less, um, less and less of the population actually has it, is just peace of mind, comfort, assurance. So many people. So many professing Christians seems to be, seem to be caught up in the mindset of the world. Just hustle, 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 hustle. Keep going. Keep working. Keep working. Make that dollar. Do what you got to do. Accomplish your dreams. Accomplish your... And not all of that is bad. It's not bad to have a drive to accomplish goals. To accomplish plans. That's not bad. But when we're just consumed by that and our minds and our hearts and our bodies and our souls never rest. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's not right. You say, well, how is that not right for us to never rest? If we're never resting, if we're always consumed with what we're about to do next, you can probably rest assured we never really take time to stop and consider the faithfulness of God. And the goodness of God. Because our mind and our heart is always on what's next? What's my next goal? What do I got to do next? When's that next bill coming in? When's that next paycheck coming in? When's the, when, when are we going on vacation? When are we doing this? When are we... We're not meant to live that way. We are not meant to live that way. God will provide what is needed. In many cases, in many cases, and each I think each and every one of us in, in, in church today, if we were honest, we would say, yeah I wouldn't even stop there, Caleb. I wouldn't even say God that has God has provided what's needed. Like if I look at my life, if I look at the house I'm living in, if I look at my bank account, if I look at the car I'm driving, God's given us a whole lot more than just what is needed. Like we've got a lot of stuff in our life that we don't we don't need it like we could live without it yet we still have it. God has been gracious. Now, some of that stuff actually probably distracts us from God. That's another sermon for another time. Let me try to stay focused here. But God will provide. And God will be faithful. Even when your life isn't this exciting, thrilling journey that you're on. And you might be thinking, is this all there is? Remind yourself that if you're a Christian, God has called you to salvation. God has called you as his own. He is sovereign. Our days were written in his book before we ever lived. Any of them We're precisely where he would have us be. <clears throat> he is accomplishing exactly what he intends to accomplish. And we can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. And yes, there may be adjustments that need to be made. And yes, there may be changes that get made, but as believers, we rest our minds. We rest our souls in the fact that God is God. God is faithful. God is good, and we rejoice in that and we can rest. We can rest. Our, our livelihood, our well being does not rely on how hard we're working, or ultimately doesn't rely on how hard we're working, or how many, how many of our own goals that we're accomplishing, or anything else. God is over that. He will provide. So we note here again God's faithfulness. Abram and Lot, many possessions. The issue was their herdsmen were arguing with one another. They were getting irritated with one another. So Abram comes up again with a peaceful solution here. And here's one of those things that we probably wouldn't catch on the first read. I didn't catch it on the first go through. But it says... Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. So the first thing is, if you go all the way back to the temptation in the garden. We are told that Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. It was pleasing to the eyes. And it was desired um, to make one wise. So she, she saw. And here it says that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. So there's a little bit of a correlation there. Lot here is just looking and based upon physical appearance. What he can see with the naked eye. He chooses what seems good in his eyes. Now it would seem that. Sodom already had a reputation. It would seem that there's probably a good chance that Abram, probably Lot, maybe knew about the reputation of Sodom and the wickedness that was there. Nevertheless, Lot says, I choose that. Why did he choose? Because he saw that the valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. If you've got livestock, if you've got herdsmen, if you've got people you need to tend to and you look at a valley and you see that it's well watered, you think, oh, well, that looks good. That looks like a great place to go. Never mind the reputation of the people around there who live there, the wicked people that are there in that region. I'm going, I choose that. Then we're told Lot journeyed east. Now, this is this is the thing specifically that I'll be honest. It was literally in doing sermon prep for this sermon for the first time that I read anything or my attention was drawn to the fact that this is not the first time that something happened with East involved that came after a judgment or um, or is somehow connected with negative or connected with sinful things after Adam and Eve were placed outside of the garden. Uh, The angels with the flaming sword are placed on the east side. Okay, So there's a judgment for sin. There's a penalty for sin. They're cast out of the garden. The angels are placed on the east. After Cain kills Abel. And Cain is punished. And then of course we know that Cain cries out to God. That oh this punishment is too severe or whatever. But we know that, that, that Cain is cast aside from God. And which direction does Cain travel? And he travels east. And so you actually see a little bit of a, of a pattern there that, that even, even the direction of eastward has a little bit of a connection, not just, not just here in chapter 13, but, but two other times there has been judgment or there has been a repercussion that has come and the direction of east is connected with it. And in this case, we would say, well, this is really a bit of foreshadowing. Because nothing really, really bad or scary or eventful has happened in the life of Lot yet. But for any of us who are familiar with Scripture, we know that Lot does eventually end up in Sodom. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah eventually get destroyed. Lot and his daughters are the only ones that are spared and they end up in the caves. Lot chose what was pleasing to the naked eye. He looked up, he saw that the valley was well watered and he said... I'll go there. Again, the reputation of Sodom. It, it would seem that the reputation of Sodom was already known. There's a good chance that Lot would have had knowledge that there was great wickedness in the area. But it looked pleasing to the naked eye. And so he chose that direction and he traveled east. A bit of foreshadowing there. And we're even told this was before the Lord, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah so lot chose for himself all the jordan valley and lot journeyed east thus they separated from one another now it it's tempting to say well let, let's consider all the ways in which lot made bad decisions and let's let's ask ourselves how we can make better decisions in life and let's let's see how me, how we can make wise decisions but really nothing more i don't think nothing more anything more needs to be said lot looked up He chose what was pleasing to the naked eye. Probably knowing that there was wickedness, rampant wickedness in the area. He chose. So the only comment that I'm going to make as far as decision making goes as Christians is this. Every decision we make, we ought to bring it into consideration with the scriptures and what we know God expects of us. As his children. With that in mind. With scripture in mind. With knowing what God expects of us. As his children. We have all that we need to make wise. Informed decisions. When we are so foolish. And negligent. As to just pick an option that looks good. Without giving any thought to it. Or without giving any consideration to God. During the decision. We just say. That looks good then you can rest assured we've probably made a foolish or at least a self-centered decision. Or at least an uninformed decision. So that's the only thing that I'll say about the whole Lot making his decision. And then we see that Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. That didn't take long, did it? He moves into the valley. And next thing. He's already moved his tent. As far as Sodom. As close to the wickedness. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. Great sinners against the Lord. So now we come to Abram. The Lord said to Abram. Lift up your eyes. Now you could. You could or you couldn't. I don't. I don't think it's a great necessity. At this. Juncture. At this particular. With this particular phrase. But. You can note that Lot lifted up his own eyes. God instructed Abram to lift up his eyes. Look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all of the land that you see. I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Forever. This is another repetition. Uh, This is now. It has been multiple times now. That God has specifically told Abram. I will give you this land. I will, and, and this land is to you. And to your offspring. And then he says. I will make your offspring. As the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can count. The dust of the earth. Uh, your, your offspring also. Can be counted. And then he says arise. Walk, the, walk through the length. And the breadth of the land. For I will give it to you. So. We see that Abram was instructed to lift up his eyes. I will increase your offspring. I will give you this land and to your offspring. Those are, this is now multiple times that God is reiterating these promises to Abram. And then that last verse there. Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre or the Terebith. Which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is now multiple times. That after receiving a promise or a confirmation from God. Abram erects an altar and worships. And so we're starting to pick up on these little patterns. The faithfulness of Abraham. Sorry, Abram at this point. To call upon the name of the Lord. God's faithfulness to provide for Abram. God's faithfulness to not only give a promise, but to reiterate that promise. And to confirm that promise over and over to Abram. Right? Right? He says again, hey, this time walk. Walk the length and the breadth of the land. It's yours. I will give this to you. And when He mentions that I will increase your offspring, that's directly tied to the fact that He told Abram, I make you the father of a great nation. And you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's not going to happen if there's not offspring that, that come from that. And so God is Reiterating his promise to Abraham and reminding him over and over again. I have called you. There is a specific purpose in your life. I am accomplishing that purpose. I will accomplish these things. I will give you this land. I will give you offspring. Not only will I give you offspring, your offspring will be so great and so numerous that it will be as the dust of the earth. And He's telling Abram that with a barren wife. Abram has a barren wife. And God is saying, to you and to your offspring I will give this land. That would seem like a cruel joke were it not for God's sovereignty over all things and His complete freedom to accomplish all that He intends. To tell a man that has a wife That is incapable of bearing children. I will give this land to your offspring. Which seemed like a cruel joke. But Abram was a man of faith. And we know where we started this life of Abraham discussion here. God brings into existence things that don't exist. God gives life to the dead. Not only that. And this is. This is a much lesser thing when we're considering a barren woman bearing children. The Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land at this time. So that would have been a difficult thing, perhaps, for Abram to look out on the land to know that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were there, and God is saying, I will give this land to you and to your offspring. Abram could have thought, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be... I mean, the Canaanites are here, the Perizzites are here, and they... You know, it's not like they're not going to fight for their land. It's not like they're going to—they're not going to fight for uh, for their people and for their for their nations. Like this is you're going to all of this, but look, there's already people here. So how are you going to give it to me? Like that, th- these things could have been obstacles in Abram's mind. They could have been obstacles to Abram's faith. All we know at this point. Is Abram responded to this reiteration of God's promise. By building an altar. And worshipped. God gave his word. God gave his promise. And Abram worshipped. Which shows faith and obedience on the part of Abram. So, as I said, and I can tell by the looks on your faces. I know it's rainy outside too. I'm not, I'm not really trying to pick on y'all. I just know it's fact. It's human nature. Passages like this. We don't come to pass. I doubt, and probably for the rest of your life. I don't really think that you would even be sitting at home one day and say... I really want to read Genesis 13 right now because there's just so much that happens in Genesis 13. I mean, it is just, it's just packed full of just awesome things that God does. I get it. We're human. There are certain chapters of scripture where we're just like, we're tempted to just say, Ugh, that is dry. There's not a lot going on there. I get it. We're human. It's, and it's okay. Like some of y'all are grinning like, should I be laughing at it? It's okay. Like God knows. God knows. That human nature is we don't, we don't really get a big kick out of reading the genealogies. Like God knows if you think Genesis 13 is boring. What I'm challenging you with this morning is understand this. That ultimately, there are any boring chapters of scripture. Ultimately, there are any passages of scripture that are worth skipping over. Even if that might be your first inclination. You say, okay, well I read that. I don't think I'll be reading it again because there's not a whole lot there. But I read it. What do we do? What do we do when we come across passages like this? And I pray that if we are in the habit of skipping certain portions of scripture, I pray that we stop skipping certain passages of scripture and that we start looking for God's goodness and God's faithfulness and and salvation on every page of scripture and every chapter of scripture. So, what can we pull out of a chapter like this that really just, it really does just seem to be connection material? They were in Egypt, they're traveling, this is getting us to the next thing that happens. Because in chapter 14, there's a war, there's kings fighting, Abraham has to get involved, he's got to save Lot. Man, that's exciting. But this chapter, it's just like a connector. The chapter started with Abram. Revisiting an altar that he had already erected. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And the chapter closes with Abram having an opportunity to build a new altar and worshiping, calling upon the name of the Lord. The chapter begins with a note that Abram went up for Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot went with him. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. Lot also had many possessions. And you see the provision of God. God did not just call Abram to go on a journey that, again, Abram still doesn't really know where he's going. God just said, get up, go, there's a land that I'm preparing for you. Get up and go. God doesn't just call Abram and send him on a journey and it's kind of like, hope he has what he needs to make it. Like God is providing. God is being faithful throughout this entire journey, this sojourning of Abram and his family. Abram and Lot split up. Again, that might just seem like basic. Okay, well, they split up. Well, what was the difference? Are there Were there any differences? Well, Lot lifted up his own eyes. He chose what was pleasing to the eye. God told Abram to lift up his eyes. And God told Abram what land was going to be his. And he reiterated the promise and... Okay, well there, so there is some significance here. No, it might not get your blood flowing and it might not feel like the adrenaline rush that you're looking for in the flesh. but as a believer, we should rejoice and we should be we should be content. I was going to say excited, but I'm, I don't really like that word. We should be content with reading. Each verse of Scripture, knowing that each verse is for our good, it's for our edification, and each verse is working together to equip us for every good work. So that's simply what I wrote down in in my conclusion here. We need to know God's faithfulness. We need to know Abram's commitment to call upon God and worship Him. Once more, I will say this. I hope that I get it in your head before we actually get to some of the numbskull stuff That Abram and Sarah did. So, because I don't want y'all to be like, oh, I can't believe Abram did that if you're not really familiar with this passage. Abram is just a man called by God. Just a man called by God. Okay? So we're going to see things in Abram's life that are sinful things. It's a lack of faith. He tries to take things into his own hand. But we also see this. Although Abram has ups and downs, There is a commitment in Abram's life. He calls upon the name of God. And he worships God. And he gives glory to God. Note that. Your life, my life, as believers, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have times where we lack faith. We're going to have times where our faith has been made very, very strong by God's grace. But we're also going to have those times where we lack faith. We're also going to have those times, it's going to happen. We may have seasons of life, if you like that terminology, where we just don't feel near to God. But we also feel like, if we're being honest, we might not even... Feel the desire to be near to God. We might have those dry spots in our lives. But here's the thing. As believers, it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter if we're high or if we're low. If we know that God has called us to himself, that God has granted us salvation, then there ought to be a consistency in our lives that we call upon the name of the Lord, that we give thanks to God, that we worship him. Even if we don't feel like it. Even if we don't feel like. Well well, I'm in a great place to worship right now. We lay all of that to the side. And we say the truth of the matter is. God has saved me. God has called me to himself. And I will worship him. Regardless of how I feel. Or regardless of my performances. Yesterday or the day before. Or regardless of my performances in the future. I will take time today. To call upon the name of the Lord. To worship him. And that is a reminder. Again. Because we are going to have those downtimes. We are going to have those times. Where we fall flat on our face. God is faithful. God is faithful in the mundane. And in the miraculous. Okay. We're all going to have moments in our lives. I'm sure some of us. Maybe you've already had these moments. That you, you may have had a family member. Or it might have been you. That you're really sick at one time. People were praying for you or praying praying for that family member and God granted healing to that family member or granted healing to you. Maybe it it was some other kind of really big event in your life. God is faithful in the miraculous stuff. God is faithful in the big stuff. But God is still just as faithful in the mundane, everyday, run of the mill life. Day by day, doing the same old, same old, God is faithful. And when we get in those moments, when we get in those moments mentally where we we start to fall into that trap of I just I feel like I'm doing the same stuff every day. And I don't I don't even really feel if I'm doing anything that matters. I don't know I don't know if I'm doing anything in my life that's actually worthwhile. I just feel like I'm doing the same stuff over and over again. Is, it, is there any significance to any of that? God has been faithful to bring you to that point. God's going to be faithful to continue carrying you through all that He has planned for you. And in that moment, if you're a child of God, you're right where God would have you be. And that alone brings significance and purpose and meaning to everything about life. If you are a child of God, Then you can rest and you can stand in the fact that he has called me to himself. He has sustained me thus far. He is sovereign. Therefore, today, right now, in this moment, it's a part of his design and plan for my life. And that gives purpose and significance and meaning to everything. And we rejoice and we rest in that. We say, thank you, God. That you are my meaning of life. You are the reason that I'm here. You're the reason that there's breath in my lungs. You're the reason I have life physically. You're definitely the reason that I have life spiritually. Because we're hopeless apart from Christ. And we rejoice. And we just set our minds on God. And His faithfulness. We just consider His goodness. And we're drawn to that place of worship. And adoration. And we're also drawn to that place where we remember God is accomplishing all that He intends. And that should be our desire and our prayer anyway. It's not about accomplishing what we intend, it's not about doing what we want to do. It's God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we rejoice in that. So God is God is faithful in the mundane and the miraculous. God has called us to Himself, and this means that we are sojourners. On our way to a promised home. Consider that. There's a connection with Abram. God called Abram. Abram was a sojourner. If we are saved. If we are Christians. This world is not our home. I know there's that song that people like. This world is not my home. Okay. It, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than, an, than a, a good emotion that you get singing an old southern gospel song. That is a truth. We don't belong here. This world has no hold on us. We are sojourners on our way to the land that God has prepared for us. Okay. What do do sojourners do? They sojourn. They travel. They're on a journey. Okay. Sometimes exciting things happen. Sometimes it literally just looks like. Getting to the next spot. Traveling to the next spot. But if God has called us to himself. This means that we are sojourners. On our way to the promised home. Not always exciting or spectacular. Yet it is. It is always exciting and spectacular. You say Caleb that doesn't make sense. How could it be both? Here's how. In the flesh. We get tired. We get run down. We feel like life is mundane. We remind ourselves of God. Who. Who has given us meaning and purpose. And we exist for His glory. And so all of life. Is exciting and spectacular. Because we're sojourners. On our way home. What could be more exciting than that? We were dead. And now we're alive. Once we were not a people. But now we are God's people. And not only are we alive here. We know that we're just sojourning. We're just traveling through. Because we're on our way. To the true home. The eternal home. That he has prepared for us. So when you wake up tomorrow. It's going to be another day in the life. Of a child of God. Who was drawn to salvation. Who was raised up to new life. And is on their way to their eternal home. How is that not exciting? How is that not joyful? Joyful. And the next day, Tuesday, when you wake up, guess what? It's going to be another day in the life of a lost sinner who was raised to life, called by God on their way to their eternal home. How is that not exciting? Therefore, how ought we to live that life? We should live that life with a commitment to call upon the name of the Lord, to worship God, to serve Him, To be obedient to Him. And so I end where we began. First Peter chapter 2. We started the service reading from this chapter. I'm going to read it once more. We'll close in a word of prayer. But now that we've talked about all that we've discussed. Perhaps now these verses may pack a little bit more of a punch. Or at the very least you can see how these verses connect with our study in Genesis. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's not always going to be exciting. It's not always going to be the thrilling joy ride that we think that life is supposed to be sometimes. Reading the scripture is not always going to feel thrilling and exciting. But each and every verse, each and every word is beneficial for our edification, for correction, for proof, for instruction and in righteousness. And on each and every page of scripture, I guarantee you, you will see God's faithfulness to his people. God's faithfulness to his people. God's faithfulness to those whom he has called and he has claimed as his own possession. You will see God's faithfulness on every page. And therefore, on every single page, there is something for us to glean. There's the goodness of God to be considered, and there's reason for us to rejoice. Let's close in order of prayer.